fart-sniffing, pretentious garbage. Radio Drone. Welcome to a hideous, nameless, eldritch, loathing, accursed, cyclopean, demonic, gibbous, unnameable episode of Radio Drone. I am Josh Hadley. With me, as always, is the eldritch horror himself, the Peter. Do you know why the pregnant lady went into the pizza parlor? Because deliveries were free. That's right. And also the cyclopean madness that is Cecil T. You're unnameable. Great comeback. <laughs> You know, look, I'm tired. We're going to be talking about H.P. Lovecraft tonight, if you couldn't tell by me listing off some of his most famous words that he's used hundreds and hundreds of times in his stories. But before we talk about H.P. Lovecraft, what you guys need to do is go to adamandeve.com. Use the promo code DROME, and you will get 50% off of a single item, three free DVDs, a free sex swing, and free U.S. shipping. But also, there is the digital condom that is Nord. If you want if you want to maybe get around region-locked content, you want your data encrypted, you want your identity encrypted, you maybe want to surf the Internet completely anonymously, what you need is a VPN, a virtual private network, and that's where Nord comes in. They're one of the best on the market. What you do is you go to 1201beyond.com backslash Drome VPN, and you will get three years of Nord's protection for only $3.49 a month. That's 75% off of a three-year plan. Go to 1201beyond.com backslash Drome VPN. So tonight, we got Halloween coming up, so I thought we'd talk about H.P. Lovecraft movies. Now, I don't want to talk about anything that is Lovecraft-inspired, although I have a few on my list that are technically cheating, but I'll talk about that. Not Nothing that he inspired or is, you know, Craftian-style film or something like that, that we'll deal with in the next episode. Tonight, I want to talk about the movies that are either based on or supposedly based on or incorporate elements from Lovecraftian works. So that said, what would be the first, maybe not the first one you saw, but the first one you noticed when you saw a movie and that H.P. Lovecraft guy's name was on it? Metallica is the thing that should not be. I, I don't know if they credited him or whatnot, but it was one of those things that kind of led me to, all right, I guess I should look into this a little bit more. Um, there was uh, Obituaries Cause of, oh God, what was it? Was it Cause of Death? Yeah, Obituaries Cause of Death, their second album, which had the cover from, uh, it was, it was one of the compilations of Lovecraft's works. And I actually have that paperback too. Uh, yeah, yeah, the, I did. The, the, the one with that original cover. Yeah, the one with the, with the spider and the guy in the, in the web on the, uh, on the tree. And that yep. always got, cause I bought, I had the album cause I love death metal and I had seen that in a bookstore and I was like, okay, I, I guess I have to get this. And then I was like, oh, right. This is, this is that Lovecraft guy from, from Reanimator that I, I had heard of. And it was really, uh, it was really cool. It was just interesting. It was weird. It was just so different from a lot of other stuff that was out there. It was just bizarre. And it kind of introduced me to the concept of cosmic horror and which has been used in increasing amounts lately. 
it just seems that more and more we're getting a lot of uh, that for for better or worse. I mean, some things are really great that we're getting, but uh, other things it's like oh they just kind of are using that because it's like a cheap out. But I know we're going to talk about that more, you know, the inspirations next week. So I'll just I won't go into that. One of the things that ticks me off is how many people claim even in the Lovecraft movies and they can't pronounce the names right. <laughs> like it's not it's not Cthulhu because a lot of people when Lovecraft was still alive. A lot of his friends Isn't and like contemporaries. or something? Yes, it, it's supposed to be pronounced with the tongue at the top of your mouth and like you're spitting the name out. Cthulhu. It's well, the call Cthulhu. Go, folks. Like, y- you may uh, call Metallica dumb, but they've been pronouncing it right the whole fucking time. It's the call of Cthulhu. Cthulhu. It's not, it, it's not Cthulhu. It, but, but then again, these are the same people who say Neanderthal. Okay, the T and the H in Neanderthal, Neanderthal. are together, but they're not pronounced together. It's pronounced Neanderthal. Neanderthal. When you say Neanderthal, it makes me want to punch you in your baby makers. <laughs> Why don't you go make a gif about it? <laughs> I would gotta say Reanimator. I mean, I didn't even know of really about Lovecraft's works uh, until I saw that movie and I saw the, you know, inspired by the stories of H.P. Lovecraft and the title and it got me very interested because I very much enjoyed that film. Obviously, later on down the line, I got very much into Stuart Gordon. I went and checked out his writings. I found out about Cthulhu, which obviously for years I've, I have pronounced it Cthulhu, but that is more of a, that's more of a Serbian trait than anything because our language, everything that's written, it's pronounced the way that it's written. So that's kind of something that I'm used to, but I, I do understand that it's more Cthulhu, but I got very much into the, into that sort of stuff, but it all stemmed from Stuart Gordon's just, just master Reanimator, which, which, I, which I love, which is a movie that I revisit quite a lot, particularly during the, the Halloween season or, or really any time during the year, is, is a fantastic film to watch. But uh, that's the one that got me very focused on the, the writings of this uh, very strange man by the name of, of H.P. Lovecraft. Howard Philip Lovecraft, and in a way his writing was very stunted, because he would use the same terms and the same themes again and again and again and again and again. Like, I read that list of words. Hideous, nameless, eldritch, loathe, accursed, cyclopean, demonic, gibbous, unnameable. He's he's used all those words hundreds of times in his stories. He, he has this great quote, though, which is basically sums up Lovecraft. The oldest and strongest emotion of mankind is fear, and the oldest and strongest kind of fear is the fear of the unknown. That's cool. That that basically sums up Lovecraft. It's so strange. You're trying to explain Lovecraft to somebody who's never read one of his books. <laughs> it's it, no, it's it's kind of hard to explain how when you look at a movie, you can just go, "This has such a Lovecraftian style to it." If you know what you're tr- what you're trying to look for, you can see a Lovecraftian style, and that's what we'll deal with next week. But this week, and we're not going to go in chronological order or anything. Let's look at some of the movies that are at least on paper adaptations or partial adaptations of Lovecraft stories, such as I absolutely hated this movie from a year or two ago. I thought it was absolute fart-sniffing pretentious garbage. That movie Annihilation is supposedly, although it's uncredited. Yes, that was pretentious. That was almost Terrence Malick level of, my God, you are totally sucking your own dick here, aren't you, Alex Garland? But with all women, and it's so colorful. It was gray, it was bland, it was garbage, and the pacing was shit. 
That movie was awful. Just awful. Well, according to Alex Garland, he incorporated elements of Lovecraft's Color Out of Space into it. And I can see some of it. I can see elements of it. He didn't adapt Color Out of Space, but man, you can kind of see elements of it. So I don't know if Annihilation would count as a Lovecraft adaptation or an inspiration, though. Well, it it felt more like an adaptation of At At the Mountains of Madness to me. It seemed more like that sort of thing, but just so poorly done. Like, I don't know. Everybody's all like, oh, well, sure, it was slow, but that, like, dog hybrid thing was really scary in the ending. It's like, it was just crap. That movie stunk. Anybody that's, like, up their own asses trying to defend it is defending it for other, other outside reasons, for brownie points, for being like, oh, I like this movie that's got all, all women in it. It's like, is that really it? Is that, cause it's crap. It's, it's absolute shit. If you want a good example of this sort of film, watch The Thing. Watch John Carpenter's The Thing. It's a much better version of this sort of thing. Or The Void. Okay, let's just stick with Colorado Space then. Then that was also adapted in 1987 as The Curse, the Will Wheaton movie. That was relatively accurate to the story. I mean, okay, it updated it to modern times and changed some things. Like, the ending is changed. But I, while I don't think it was a great movie, it's got a lot of problems. It's actually a relatively accurate adaptation of Color Out of Space. It's not bad. Like, I, I enjoy it. Uh, like you said, it's got problems. It's not flawless. But for what it is, especially for the time period, it's pretty good. Uh, I thought they, they nailed the uh, the feel of it. I watched it you year. I saw it when I was younger, and then I saw it again years later. And it's just a very bizarre film. I like The Curse 2 better. But The Curse 2 has nothing Lovecraftian in it at all, unless there's some hidden Lovecraft book about radioactive piles of snakes. Curse 2, The Bite. But, uh, so I like that one better, but that had, that really was just riding off of the title. The Curse 1, I think, is pretty neat. I feel like it's just a solid film. As Cecil said, the second one's good. I enjoy it. Uh, not Will Wheaton, though. Let's stick with Color Out of Space, then. You've got the old Boris Karloff, Die, Monster, Die. That's also based off Color Out of Space, although only partially. Like, this is another one where it's elements of Color Out of Space, and then add a whole bunch of other 60s almost hammer-style weirdness around it. I remember Die, Monster, Die. Like I said, only basically the framing device is is Lovecraft. Everything else, nothing about the style feels Lovecraft, none of the dialogue. I know Die, Monster, Die is a Lovecraft adaptation, but it might be the worst one of Color Out of Space, other than the, sh- the short, weird German film that came out a few years ago. Uh, and then there a great uh, Michael Graves Misfits song, at least. And then there is the new Richard Stanley movie, which unfortunately, at the time we're recording this, we have not seen yet, where Richard Stanley has adapted Color Out of Space, and apparently it's really damn good, but hasn't okay, uh, it's, it's, it's Richard Cage. Stanley. Nicholas Cage has been cast for it. And so has Tommy Chong. So it's gonna Tommy be... Tommy Chong is in it. <laughs> it's gonna wow. be wild. I'm looking forward to that one a lot. I'm, well, yeah. I'm, dis- I'm, I'm disappointed we didn't get a ch- it, that it hasn't yet by the time we did this, but I wanted to do this for Halloween, so. There's one thing you'll notice when you look at Lovecraft adaptations. A lot of people will adapt the same story over and over and over. You know, he has hundreds of short stories. Hell, he has stories that we don't even know are his, because one of the things he did, Lovecraft was kind of an asshole. He was an arrogant jerk who thought, and I'm not joking, he was too good to work. So he refused to get a job. So to make ends meet, he would ghost write for other writers. 
with that said, there are Lovecraft stories out there that we don't even know are Lovecraft stories because no one kept a record of who ghost wrote who. So there are stories out there that we might not know are Lovecraft that actually are. But that out of the hundreds of stories he wrote, people seem to only adapt the same 12. They only know, I guess, what has become his most famous works. So consequently, we're stuck in this weird limbo where only the most popular stuff gets adapted. That goes across the board with a lot of other things. Like, think of how many movies just constantly get re- uh, remade. Think of how many books constantly get re- uh, re-adapted, uh, readapted. It's like, okay, well, this is his most popular stuff. We're just going to keep doing this over and over again. Instead of looking into his other history and maybe bringing some of that forward. And that's one of the things that always bothers me is that when you have authors that are popular, they have other stuff stuff besides their most popular stuff and who knows maybe the stuff that wasn't popular 30 50 100 years ago or whatever if it gets adapted now it might become popular well because i'm sitting here looking at a list here and the lurking fear has been adapted as bleeders it's been adapted as a film called lurking fear it's been adapted as a film called dark heritage it's been adapted as two short films it's like okay can we quit remaking lurking fear you know you do guys do know lovecraft has other stories stories, right? Uh, not to them, he hasn't. Let's go with the stuff that people know. Well, it's also the same thing with, now this one sometimes is more inspiration, but like Shadow Over Innsmouth, man, that, that inspired, that definitely inspired Creature from the Black Lagoon. Shadow Over Innsmouth has officially or unofficially been adapted, I can think of at least a dozen films that are like, man, you guys were really inspired by Shadow Over Innsmouth, weren't you? That one shows up a lot. Cultists and weird, uh, fish peoples. Cross-bred fish peoples, yeah, it shows up in a, in a lot of places for sure. Let's talk about his most famous work, which you guys already both brought up, Reanimator. It's ironic that that's the most recognizable H.P. Lovecraft story, probably, and it's the one he hated the most. He was desperate for money, he didn't want to write it, he wasn't happy about it, and he despised the fact that it was serialized in a magazine. He did not know how to write in chapters like that did not like and was never proud of Reanimator, which I find the most ironic because that's the one Stuart Gordon made Reanimator with Charles Band in 1985 for Empire Pictures. They adapted it pretty damn close. So is it weird that the most faithful Lovecraft adaptation is the one story he hated the most? Is that ironic or not? Screw authors. Most authors hate adaptations of stuff they make or they hate their own stories and other people pick it up and enjoy it. It's like, screw authors. You know, they, they make great stuff, but then they'll crap all over it. You, know, you got Stephen King hating most of his <laughs> works, and it's like, if, if Stephen King doesn't like John Carpenter's adaptation of Christine, does that mean I'm supposed to not like it? King hated The Shining. Yeah. And then he won, and then he's saying that the one with the guy from Wings is better <laughs> than the friggin' Kubrick version. It's, I think. TV special was The TV ass. special was so bad where he, like, I understand it was closer to what he had written, but sometimes that stuff doesn't translate as well. And so I understand. Uh, an author not liking an adaptation because it's not what they had in their head. But you have to kind of look at it from, all right, this is somebody who's taking my concept and making it, I don't want to say making it their own, but adding their own 
spin to it. In that case, uh, I I think if you like something that uh, was adapted from a Lovecraft thing or adapted from a King book or whatever, and they didn't like it, that doesn't discount your enjoyment of it. That just basically means that the author, for whatever reason, didn't like it. And that just happens time and time again. You have people that create something and somebody will take that and do something else with it and they just don't like it. It's kind of a shame that his most famous work is something that he doesn't like. Whatever, you know? <laughs> Stuart Gordon got kind of a reputation of being the Lovecraft guy for a while, because he's made like four Lovecraft adaptations, and there's some of his, I think, best movies. Let's stick with Reanimator for just a moment, though. So the Reanimator sequels, Bride of Reanimator and Beyond Reanimator, are original works. They're not actually, I mean, they're based off Lovecraft characters, obviously, in the Lovecraft setting. What I find the strangest about those is they don't feel Lovecraft at all, and I don't know if that's a if that's a benefit or a deficit. Reanimator really does, if you know what Lovecraft's style and Lovecraftian is, it's not as much as like, you know, with Cthulhu or Azeroth or anything the unnameable or anything like that. It's not the cosmic kind of unknowns that Lovecraft is most famous for, but there's definitely a Lovecraft feel to the first film. I don't know if it was intentional or or just maybe the time periods they were made in, why Bride and Beyond, which I both think are disaster disasters of movies do not feel Lovecraftian because you'd think Stuart Gordon and Brian Usna, Brian Usna more specifically on the sequels, would have tried to keep that Lovecraftian feel because that's what everyone loved about the first movie. I don't know. Uh, it's it's weird with the way that they worked. I think he also had a significantly less budget or a significantly smaller budget than he had with the original Reanimator. So there are different things that factor into it. You never know without actually talking to them or going back in time, so to speak, and finding out what was happening. There may have been various issues as to why it didn't go in the same direction. Or maybe they just simply said, you know what, we already did it this way, let's try to do it a little bit differently. Well, as I talked about in a previous episode with Bride of Reanimator, to me, Bride of Reanimator is just a disjointed mess. It feels like five different scripts all thrown into a blender and they said, hey, every 20 minutes we're going to adapt a different one of these sequel ideas we had. Bride of Reanimator is just a complete mess. It, it's I, was never, I was never big on Bride of Reanimator either. I did, however, I never really enjoy Beyond Reanimator, though. I like that one a lot. I did not I just, like it. I, 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 I thought, thought it was an interesting concept to have uh, Herbert West in prison and still working on his experiments and, and seeing how that would pan out. Like, I, I just thought that was a much better idea for a sequel. I, I know it's not, like, universally loved by a lot of the Lovecraft and Stuart Gordon, Brian Usna crowd, but I quite enjoy from from uh or not from beyond beyond reanimator quite a lot i think that one's cool there was also castle freak which was based oh, on the, love, the, the, the lovecraft movie the outside see i was never big i don't dislike castle freak i was i never understood the love for it though i just think it's an okay movie awesome what are you talking about the effects are great it's really gruesome it's really disgusting the the castle freak itself is disgusting you've also got jeffrey combs and barbara crampton in, in that weird relationship that they're in that failing marriage and he brings a hooker to their home and stuff and it's got that nice element of sleaze to it the the daughter of theirs that he caused to go blind and, and that great self-sacrificing tragic ending i think i think castle castle freak is an unsung classic and of course the oh god that disgusting visage visage that disgusting 
that disgusting visual of that half chewed up mangled penis of the castle freak that we're, <laughs> that we're subjected to every time he's running around and he's stalking the premises looking for Barbara Crampton and, and her defenseless blind young daughter so he can do stuff to them that we don't want to think about. I, I'm going to have to say what I think might be the best Lovecraft adaptation ever, even though it's mostly a sequel, is From Beyond. Because, you know, From Beyond, I think, was what, like a nine page story. Don't quote me on that. Very it was short a pretty, story. Yeah. It was a it, very it, short story. From Beyond, you basically see the short story in the opening five minutes of the film. That's pretty much the short story. Everything before the credits is is the Lovecraft, and after that, it's basically a sequel, but this is what I think where Stuart Gordon did it amazingly. The rest of that movie feels like a logical extension of the story. Now, they, they did change the story around a little, I mean, it's, it's not a, it's not an accurate adaptation of the From Beyond story. It's accurate to the themes, the tone, and the and I guess the overall plot, the, the it's bare bones. It's for sure. Like, elements of it are definitely there. I really love From Beyond. I think it was a fair follow-up to Lovecraft because it still felt Lovecraft, and especially the monster and the and just the way the resonator room looked. Oh, my and, God, yeah. Maybe this was just me, but with Color Out of Space and From Beyond, a lot of times when people adapt Lovecraft, they go for a purple color scheme. I don't know if that's intentional or not. Purple is a big recurring color in Lovecraft's adaptations. I don't know if that's telling or just one person did it and then someone else said, well, okay, purple's what I saw with Lovecraft, so we'll go purple again. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, From Beyond is just a very purple movie. Bizarre, but it just feels really uncomfortable and weird Especially the first time you see it, if you see it when you're younger, it's very confusing. And then when you see it a little older, it's still confusing. But it's just a bizarre but very good and very unique movie. Aesthetically pleasing, very syrupy. <laughs> There's a lot of uh, a lot of. It's very oozy. Yes, yes. Yeah, it's very very slime glopola. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, you know that in Slime City, they were just hosing themselves down afterwards every single day. It's uh, it's it's a weird movie that is very enjoyable, and uh, I I like it a lot. I hold it pretty high up there with like Reanimator. I think it's terrific. When uh, when Ken Forey dies, because you don't expect him to. You're like, this is this is the guy that's supposed to save the day. This is this is the alpha. This is the tough guy, and like he just gets just eaten alive by alien bugs or, or something yeah yeah it's it's just like and you're like oh my god and then the the situation feels like so much more hopeless after after he gets killed because this is the guy you're expecting to to save the day at the end and it's just it's such a great movie overall is is exactly what cecil said is aesthetically pleasing great color great mood and i consider it to be out of the just hundreds of horror movies I've seen in my time, I still consider it to be perfectly unnerving watch. I, I love, I love From Beyond. I think it might be, I, I would consider that one to be my favorite of the Lovecraft adaptation films. Just, just brilliant. Perfect genius work. I love that film. Well, then there was also the Dunwich Horror, the old film based off Lovecraft, obviously. You know, Dunwich, big, another recurring location, as well as Arkham. Arkham is a big recurring, and same with Miskatonic University. Yeah. How many freaking movies? Charles Band made a lot of these. Maybe it was because most of Lovecraft's works are public domain, so he wouldn't have to pay for them, or he was a huge Lovecraft fan, or maybe those two things are 50-50. I don't know. Both. But but Charles Band made a lot. He, he adapted the evil clergyman for Pulse Pounders, which 
you know, we never saw as Pulse Pounders, but it's a separate thing. For Necronomicon, that was an anthology film that adapted The Whisperer in Darkness, Cool Air, and Rats in the Walls. He did From Beyond, the Reanimator movies. I think Charles Band really liked H.P. Lovecraft, and I don't think that's a bad thing. No, not at all. And he uh, he handled the material quite well. But then sometimes, and I don't understand why you would do this, where you, you have, like, a Lovecraft adaptation that you don't want to call it, like The Haunted Palace. It's actually based off of the case of Charles Dexter Ward, but it's named after an Edgar Allan Poe story. And you go, what are you doing? He also came to television. On an old Night Gallery episode, they adapted Cool Air. And the only reason Cool Air kind of doesn't work as a story now is, okay, I got to give Lovecraft a little bit of credit here because of when the story was written. When Cool Air was written, the idea of air conditioning was a brand new concept. So the fact that that's not how air conditioning works at all, he gets a slight pass on. But basically, Cool Air is about a guy who's dead, who refuses to die, so he lives in what is then a brand new kind of air-conditioned apartment, and when the air conditioning goes down, he starts to dissolve, so he surrounds himself with ice. Yeah, that's not how any of that works, Lovecraft, but <laughs> at the same time, that was kind of a new concept, so okay, that was adapted into a movie as well as a night gallery episode but then there's the one and again maybe i'm cheating a little bit here the stephen king story grandma which then adapted by harlan ellison for the twilight zone in 1985 is very lovecraftian it's not te- this one would be technically be inspiration tulu is a thing in it that's one of the things that's mentioned i don't know if i'm cheating by saying the grandma episode is a lovecraft adaptation because i think the way Stephen King put it was it's a Lovecraft adaptation but Lovecraft never actually wrote the story if that makes any kind of sense the unnameable and then the unnameable 2 which technically is still a Lovecraft adaptation because it's based off the statement of Randolph Carter then why didn't you just call up the statement of Randolph Carter not the unnameable because the unnameable is a different Lovecraft story so you're starting to confuse things here unnameable sequel well, un- Unnameable is just a better title, I think, for a horror movie. Well, because that, that's one of the themes Lovecraft always had. Lovecraft always had these things, these the ancient gods, the old ones, these creatures from space, these creatures from beyond time, from beyond rationality. From beyond. They literally don't even have contempt for us. We are so low on the scale that they can't even must contempt for us. And he would he would revisit this theme over and over and over with all of these strange gods. And uh, that's where the term cosmic horror comes from. This is his trope. Like, his whole lore was connecting these uh, old ones to, to pr- a lot of his stories, like most of them. Like, the, there, there would be some mention of some sort of indescribable weird, wiggling, tentacly type squid-like creature. Uh, I believe Lovecraft himself had like a, a huge fear of octopi and squids and stuff like that. And I think he believed that they were aliens from uh, from another realm, like which I think was a, a big part of his inspiration as to why Cthulhu had the uh, mass of tentacles in his beard and, and why the, uh, the deep ones were the way they were and why the, the shoggoth were the way they were. I, I think that the guy was just really scared of aquatic life. But at the same time, let, let's leave aquatic life out for a moment and let's look at the cosmic aspect. You gotta remember, when he wrote these things, we haven't been to space, we don't know what's in space, 
we've barely studied space with freaking telescopes. And uh, I'm not saying he was accurate, but just the fact that he thought there are things out there that are more terrifying than we can ever yeah. imagine. That makes him really ahead of its ahead of his time as a writer because at that time nobody was really at least not a lot of people were writing about that sort of stuff. Like he had this idea where things came from, could they still be here? How long have they been around? That kind of stuff. It's like could these be the the gods that we worship in organized religion? Like all this stuff, like really deep stuff. Like like whether you want to acknowledge his weird like racist stuff or not, the guy had amazing ideas when it comes to the blending of the horror and the science fiction genre because it took years after all his works were written because he was a guy that was not appreciated in his own time. A lot of people forget this. When he was writing, he was poor. He was poorer than dirt. It, it, it didn't take until, I believe, Stephen King cited him as one of his influences that H.P. Lovecraft's works came into the into the mainstream, into people that, that started reading it because other authors and other creators cited him as as an influence. It, it took it took him a very long time, well after his death, for him to gain really any actual notoriety. Part of that is I'm not going to let on Stephen King because it goes earlier than Stephen it goes, King. It does go back that yeah august derelith and a couple of other people after lovecraft died he died a pauper he died basically penniless and yeah. live, living in squalor i think part of the reason his works were not as appreciated at the time is they were scattered they were in pulp magazines they were in yeah. homebrew magazine he'd only released a couple of novels and novellas that never sold very well novel length stories were not his strong suit he was better at the short story and novella sort of of lengths. It was after he died, August Derelith formed Arkham House and started collecting and reprinting his work. That's when people found him. Yeah, that's right. People found him after Arkham House started reprinting these things. There's a point they could not print the reprints fast enough because of how fast they were selling. I, I think it had to do with if he had collected his stories before his death, he might have found the appreciation that he has today. I think it was just the fact that he was scattered all over the place. There was no central H.P. Lovecraft sort of fan. It was, oh, Lovecraft has a story in this Weird Tales issue. Oh, okay, not I'm going to go buy this next Weird Tales issue because it's got Lovecraft in it. I wouldn't necessarily say plagiarizing him, but clearly influenced, like, uh, the short story of, of Who Goes There that was originally cited as the influence for Thing from Another World and John Carpenter is a Thing, like, that's clearly very much at the Mountains of Madness influence, who came out first, but was then released around the, the same time as uh, Who Goes There was in the, the publication. I forget exactly which one released uh, the two of them. It was some pulp, pulp magazine. But I, I think, yeah, of all, of everything you said in plus, like bad timing and people not giving him his due and people, people kind of copying him a little bit. I think Lovecraft was really, really shafted in his time. I, th I think he's a guy that really deserved a lot more credibility, but was just, just messed over during his time. He was, he was a man that was not, not appreciated in his time. It's, it's unfortunate that we, we didn't start seeing his influence be straight up shown 
until probably like the 70s and the 80s. You didn't start seeing his influence in films and, until around then, at least like, uh, at least not like the really obvious ones until that point. Like it's, it's really unfortunate how long it took the guy to, to make a name for himself and that he had to, he had to die penniless to get there for, for a man with, with such amazing ideas. People are making millions and millions of dollars off of the stuff that he invented. Oh God. Yeah. Who's, who's the guy that did, um, that did the Hellboy movies? Oh, Del Toro? Is Lovecraft inspired. Like, everything is some sort of massive tentacles, old ones, weird, undescribable creatures, and he's obsessed with that, and he's wanted to do the Mountains of Madness movie, and he's like a blockbuster director, and he's basically making his name off of a guy who died penniless, and every time, like, I enjoy one of his movies, I kind of fucking hate him at the same time. It's the same thing with, like, you know, William Burroughs. Just a slight deviation here. William Burroughs, you know, with Naked Lynch, he influenced an entire generation of writers and readers. And the man died mm-hmm. penniless. Oh. He had to do a Nike commercial a few years before he died to pay his rent. It's sad. Wow. You know, and then, oh, he's one of the, when he died, one of the greatest writers ever. Uh, yeah, and he died penniless living in squalor. Yeah, it would have been nice if you appreciated him when he was alive. Yeah, I mean, things are different now because of the way that uh, stuff is distributed. So back then, you really had to rely on word of mouth. And now the Internet, uh, it's easier to kind of get, oh, well, this is cool. And then you can like re- you, know, you can go and look up what else this person has done where that wasn't really uh, a thing back then. And also, a lot of things back then, people would watch something and enjoy it and wouldn't necessarily go out of their way to find out who created it to find more so i think that having the compilations then that exposed people to oh this guy did a lot of other stuff maybe we should look at some of the other stuff that he's done and also i didn't want to do this but fine we're going to have to talk about the problematic aspect of lovecraft's writing for people that are going to go back lovecraft's writing is very dense I mean, it's, it's very much written in a, in a different literary style. His stuff very much has an old world. It, it's not like, like these and thous, but he does not have, his works are not easy to a modern reader, are they? To just, to, to get into because of the way he wrote of the late 18 and early 1900s. I mean, I've, I've never had trouble with it myself. I do know that he wrote in more of an old world kind of way, but I, feel like it added to the stories it added to the to the sense of dread there was something very very interesting about the way he wrote and and i always liked it anybody that's that's confused by it when they're reading it just stop yourself for a moment maybe pace yourself a, a few steps slower than you normally would and really really take it in take in the the dialogue of those old stories because there's there's something to be said about the way he wrote them and the way it, it made it made it work he also had this weird uh, he probably didn't even notice that he did this as often as he did he had a weird trope that to me kind of wrecks the impact of some of the stories when you read them now and that is most of his stories are written in a journal entry sort of thing like the original Dracula yeah, you know and I, and I personally really like because it's um you know the Randolph Carter story is kind of like that Call of Cthulhu is, is a bit like that as well there was kind of like almost a found footage before that was even a, a genre to to his stories, but, but, which I thought and, was and really I I like that I, I like that a lot. I thought that was really cool. No, I agree with you, but that also brings this problem that found footage has. You know, it, it'll be like, why are you still writing? The creature is just lurking behind me. I can feel its breath on my neck. <laughs> Fucking run! 
You know, stop like, writing why, your damn why journal. Carter, why Randolph Carter works so well as a story because it's the account of somebody who had seen this or heard this happen to somebody else, to their colleague, and they're explaining it to the police, which is why that story works so well and why it, it works as well as it does because it's the account of what happened to somebody. It's not while it, it's happening. It's something that is, that is past tense, which is just, it's just brilliant. Like Randolph Carter is, is one of, uh, my favorite of, of Lovecraft stories and it still makes the, the hair stand up. Uh, on my forearms and it still makes me feel kind of, you know, that, that feeling of looking behind you while you're reading it because there might be something lurking in the shadows. Just, just a great little intense horror story written from the perspective of somebody that didn't see but heard his his best friend and, and longtime colleague get get ripped apart by some sort of unnamed horror. Oh, so, all right, I said we're going to talk about the problematic aspect. If you're a new reader to Lovecraft, the one thing that you're going to notice very quickly, Lovecraft was a racist, a sexist, and an anti-Semite. And <laughs> that is very pervasive in his works. He, he is open about how he thought immigration was, his word, mongrelizing... America. How oh, he thought <laughs> Ju- Jews Jews were diluting the white race. He did not have a he did not have a strong feeling for women. Uses racial epithets pretty loosely to the point where in real life he had a cat that had this name. It was a black cat, and the cat appears. I can't remember. Was it in Whisper in the Darkness or Dreams in the Witch House? Where the cat is named Nigger Man. Oh I can't God. remember, but, but, <laughs> okay. That's one of the things that if you try to read Lovecraft today, it's problematic. That really came up about two year, three years ago, where the HP Lovecraft Literary Horror Award is given out every year, and there's a, and you know, the, the, the thing you get is a bust of Lovecraft's face. Well, this was the first year it was won by a black woman from Africa. And she was very offended that a man who thought she was a vile beast made from the leftovers of mankind when God created man is now the highest achievement she's ever gotten and that this man's face looking at her isn't is the biggest achievement she's received to date. So they've now changed the Lovecraft Award. It's it's like a tree in front of a, a dying tree in front of a moon now is that political correctness run amok or is it do have to acknowledge ju- I, I don't think it's political correctness because his stories are pretty racist sometimes i i can't defend some of the things he puts in there i mean it's undeniable that there were racist elements in his stories it's, particularly if you want to go back and read uh reanimator there's a lot of anti anti-black stuff there i mean you can equate that to the politics of the time. You can equate that to the fear of the time. I'm, I'm pretty sure at, at that point in history, every race was afraid of every other race and was racist to an extent to every other race. Lovecraft himself was a very sheltered young man, a sheltered young boy who was a, his, his mother basically kept him in the attic, didn't let him uh, socialize with anybody. So I feel like he had this fear of the world at large, not just of what could be a, a cosmic looming terror upon the human race but uh, on other races as as well and not necessarily defending 
what he thought about other people, but there is a um, there is a motive for the way that he that he felt about stuff, and a lot of it can be attributed to how far back in time that was and how sheltered he was as a child. I want to ask I want to ask a qualifier though. So then, because I agree with you, but would would he be racist or xenophobic? Because those are differences. There are differences between both. racism and xenophobia, though. I would say both, because he obviously had um, a hatred for certain races, and he obviously had a xenophobia of those races uh, coming in, intermingling with his neighborhood and, and uh, intermingling with that society, and he had that xenophobia of other cultures coming in and, and that fear of it. And again, I, I don't agree with that mindset, but it's, it's all, it all comes from the way he was brought up and that time and how racist at large that time was in general. So I, I would say both. I'd say he was both racist and, and xenophobic. He was very much afraid of, of other cultures coming in and uh, intermingling with his sort of his way of life. I guess it wasn't too bad though, because his anti-Semitism, he set it aside long enough to marry a Jewish woman. So I don't know if that's, <laughs> if that's the power of Jewish pussy or if he just was actually able to conquer his anti-Semitism and say, I actually can see her as a person and not a Jew. Uh, some of the things are just elements of the time, uh, but from what we had spoken about before the episode started, his views were extreme even by the time period. So you, you never know what goes on in someone's life, and I am not justifying his racism or xenophobia at all. I think that they're terrible. It, it's, it's awful. And it's sad that somebody who is so influential also was just, he just hated other races for uh, no other reason than the fact that they were another race. So I think it's terrible. I think it's a shame. On the same token, you can't dismiss what he was able to do. You can't dismiss his influence. He was a horrible person from, from that perspective, but he also was an incredibly influential person. So it's a case of really, really removing the art from the artist. And I don't hold it in the same regard as someone like uh, a Harvey Weinstein who actually raped women. He legitimately did things to ruin people's lives, where yeah. I'm pretty sure that the guy who wrote stuff and died penniless didn't really have that huge of an impact upon uh, the people who he looked down on. So I think that... No, uh, yeah, I mean, Lovecraft was really more like a like a proletariat kind of guy, just sort of working working class. Even though he didn't want to work, he wanted to work as a writer, a very penniless writer, and he just wanted to, to put his stuff out there. Whereas Harvey Weinstein was a guy who was, you know, working in the 80s, working on screenplays, and was a guy who knew the, the rules of our current culture and still broke them and violated women and other actors and, and put people on the, on the back burner because he felt like he could do it because of his his stroke and he used his his influence and his power to do what he did whereas Lovecraft was really more of a product of both his time and a sheltered childhood and and an incredibly impoverished lifestyle but I also think in Lovecraft's case it comes down to a lot of ignorance oh yeah he was ignorant and he was yeah. stupid when it came to race Harvey Weinstein chose what he did he did oh, he chose yeah. exactly what the, the type of life that he wanted to lead 
which makes him way more of, of, a, of a monster, like in general, like if you compare him to, to most people that have done these sort of things, like Weinstein absolutely deserves to be ostracized from the public for the type of things he does. About Lovecraft, you see more and more Lovecraft adaptations today. Again, partially that might be because the bulk of his work is public domain, so anybody can adapt what they want. Mm -hmm. Or do you think that as we've gone along, Lovecraft has become easier or more difficult to adapt. I actually think it's become more more difficult to adapt because a lot of these stories are kind of unadaptable. Again, I haven't seen Stanley's Color Out of Space. That's kind of an unadaptable story. I mean, literally, it's hard, the yeah. color from the meteorite is supposed to be something, a, a color mankind literally cannot conceive. <sighs> well, you literally have to conceive that in a movie. You know what I mean? All, there are... Yeah, like... All, there are certain, there are aspects of Lovecraft stories that are kind of impenetrable. Some of this stuff can not be adapted <laughs> properly. It just can't. Well, like, uh, yeah, exactly what you said about like this un undefinable color, these undefinable shapes. Like a lot of the, a lot of the creatures in his works are like, you know, it, it's a shape and a size and, and a look that, that can't be, you can't define it by human eyes. And it's like the only really thing you can do about it. It's like that, uh, Annihilation movie did is like, you know, rainbow colors. It's like, it's just every color off the, the face of the color palette. And, uh, if, if you make creatures that are sort of Lovecraftian. It's just a, a, a raging mass of, of tentacles and bat wings and thousand eyes and all this stuff. So it's, it's very, very difficult to adapt, but I feel like some filmmakers very much understand it. I feel like the, I think it's like the Lovecraft Film Society or something. I believe they definitely understand it. They did a great short film. It's kind of short. It's, it's a little under an hour of a Call of Cthulhu film that they made as like a, a short. Are you it? talking about that black, and, black white and white one? The black and white one, yeah. Oh, that was brilliant. That was great. That is perfectly captured. The story of that with, with Relay rising from the depths and, and Cthulhu just being in, just in like uh spotlight, almost like, like the moon. And you see his, uh just his shape as his hand reaches for the ship. And it's just, just a great little thing with, with cultists and everything. I feel like they really understood it. And that, that's a film that needs to be seen by, by more people and more filmmakers and to take note of what this like smaller company is doing with this kind of material because that was great. This like silent film era style, The Call of Cthulhu, which I think is as far as the, that source material goes is, is the best I've seen in that adaptation. And, and really, if you think back to it, not a lot of filmmakers have really actually done an adaptation to Call of Cthulhu. I feel like a lot of filmmakers are, are kind of threatened by it because they, they don't know what direction they're, they're going to go in. It's like, do we show Cthulhu? Do we show more of the cultist kind of stuff? Do we tell it from more of like an account standpoint? Like it's a very hard story to tell because even for its time when it was written it was really out there like that was that's a hard story to tell of, of cosmic beings from the beyond of, of cosmic beings that have been here for centuries of, of, of a lost sunken city and these sailors that come across it and, and this like influence that it's had over the townsfolk and it's just it's this incredible story that's really hard to adapt I'd say less difficult because you have different methods to your uh, you have different abilities that you didn't have back then that you could do different narratives, different ways that you could present things. And now I'm not 
advocating for more CG, but I think that you can do things with CG to kind of show things in a way that really wasn't quite a possibility to do back in the day. And yeah. But I'm also very much an advocate for don't show too much. So I don't think that we need to see, and I'm going to keep saying Cthulhu, I'm sorry, but I don't think we need to see Cthulhu, but if it's like implied or there's a shadow or a looming or something, presence, I think that would work much better. And you could do something like that with CG, probably be a lot more difficult to do with practicals, or maybe a blend of both. Like, I think the the problem with with, uh, Cthulhu, Cthulhu or whatever, is that like, you don't want him to be Godzilla. You don't want him to be this like nasty monster that's tearing up the city and that's kind of what he is he comes from the comes up from the depths and he makes everybody go insane and he's got the wings and the the massing raging tentacle beard and all this stuff but you want him to be more of a presence you don't want him to pick up buildings and throw them and stuff it's like you you want him to be more of this like shadow that's well, like a looming I, terror like it, it's very yeah it, it's difficult to adapt him because you don't want it to come across as like a cheesy big monster you want it to because be that's not what lovecraft scary. is that's not what a lovecraft story is but lovecraft stuff is about mood and atmosphere and dread. A lot of his stories are about incoming dread. These things are so unnameable that just setting eyes upon them will drive you to madness. Yeah. That's a Lovecraft thing. That's really hard to capture on film without being goofy. Yeah, that that feeling of impending doom and impending dread. That's like really a lot of what his stories were trying to encapsulate. And it's, that's why I said that that's so hard to adapt on film because that goes over the heads of so many modern horror filmmakers because they're like, okay, well, we'll just throw buckets of blood and gore at this and show a big scary monster and use all this CG and that'll be the movie. Whereas like, that's not... Lovecraft, or at least that's not the Call of Tulu tale or these eldritch horror tales. A lot of it is like what's what's in your head, what's in your mind, what you're expecting to happen, what you're fearing is going to happen. It's a lot of psychological kind of terror. It's it's slowly feeling those wheels of insanity turn in your mind, which is what makes um, a tale like like of Cthulhu or or the stories about Dagon or the stories of all these other you know old old one cosmic beings. That have, that have that have been living underneath us for so long. Like that's that's what makes it so terrifying is this fear of the unknown. And, and when you see it all, when it all gets like broadcasted to this like big shiny gloopy CG mass of, of monsters, it's it's not as uh, not as scary as it was intended to be. Really, a Lovecraft story, and again, not all of them, but how many of these are about someone going crazy? I think a fractured psyche is almost a bigger recurring theme than sort of entity from beyond Yeah, when it comes to Lovecraft. That is hard to adapt, because we're talking about the films. As much as I love Reanimator and From Beyond, there has never been, to date, an accurate adaptation of a Lovecraft story. There's been close, but, you know, we've changed it to modern times or something like that. I don't know if you could accurately adapt a Lovecraft story 
to film. I don't the know if that's possible. The only one I can think of, like, the only one I can think of is that, like, silent film era style of the Call of Cthulhu story. That's the only one I can think of that, that really That one came did. close. That one came that, that one very, came pretty close. Probably, probably closer than any other adaptation has come to. Like, that one, if you, if you've read the story and you watch that movie, like, it's, very close. And I feel like that's one of like the most, uh, most accurate representations of that story that you can do. Like any other, any other direction just would feel wrong. Uh, I've always enjoyed it. I've always enjoyed his stuff. I've always liked seeing the different interpretations of it. I actually think the ones that have been influenced, I often enjoy more than just the direct, uh, adaptations, which we will get into next week. Uh, both. I mean, I love the direct adaptations and I love the, the influences. Like, there's a lot of great Lovecraft style films, like the, uh, the Mouth of Madness, which was a great John Carpenter film that blended a lot of, a lot of those styles. Uh, among others that I'm sure we're going to talk about. Just, I, just the overall lore of Lovecraft is so fascinating. Like this guy that at the time was really one of the only people that was writing about this sort of thing, this like cosmic horror, this this terror from the depths, this terror from the stars, like mental illness, like people going crazy, like this stuff that nobody was really writing about at the time, which is like, it, it's he even though he was a like a racist, sexist, bigoted asshole, he had this genius about him. These ideas that were stirring around in his head that he wrote down that were just like, God, they were like... 60 to 70 years ahead of its time like it's amazing what he was writing like far beyond writers like like uh Edgar Allan Poe and, and people that were writing stories like that just very typical kind of you know Victorian kind of horror the raven that sort of stuff whereas Lovecraft was like we got alien fucking squid under the ocean and they came from space and they're making people insane and there's cultists and there's people going crazy, and there's rats in the walls, and it's like, this is nuts. Like, it's insane what he was writing about. It almost makes you think that, like, where did this come from? Was he abducted? What the, where, where is he getting this influence from? And it's so crazy, so insane, and so influential, and so many filmmakers and writers after his time have adapted those works, and he died penniless for this stuff to happen. Like, it's just awesome. I mean, Dreams in the Witch House, okay, if you see the adaptation on Masters of Horror, they changed it to String Theory, which makes more sense today, but he was writing about quantum yeah. physics in in relation to magic in, like, I can't remember exactly what year that story was, but in, like, the 1920s. Exactly. like, where was this guy who was sheltered in his childhood by a bigoted mother forcing him to live in the attic? Like, where were these ideas coming from? It's, it's amazing that he had these ideas in his head. Like, just that alone should solidify his credibility as an actor. Uh, not an actor, uh, as a writer. All right, well, on that note, the unnameable himself, although I will name him, Cecil, where can he be found? <laughs> uh, you can find me being the thing that should not be over at uh, goodbadflix.com, as well as goodbadflix on Twitter, Twitch, Facebook. Oh, YouTube, yeah, the YouTubes. YouTube, uh, goodbadflix, as well as 1201beyond.com. See, I'm I'm having my brain sucked out by uh, an eldritch beast. There's the fish man of of the North, who will slowly be turning into the demon once known as Sagaroth, or Peter. Oh, Where can he be found? You can, you can find me chanting Cthulhu Fatagen on uh, Twitter at Cinematica, Facebook, the Cinematic is YouTube, the Cinematic is 1201beyond.com with their fine programming, and on Patreon at Cinematica. And 
And then you can fi- you can find me slowly going mad as my fractured psyche cannot comprehend <laughs> the depths of 1201beyond.com, which you can also contact us at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Guys, have a happy Halloween. We'll be back for another episode where we look at the influence of H.P. Lovecraft. Try to be a cut above. Keep one foot in the gutter, one fist in the gold. Have a good night. <laughs> First things first is Monroe rises from the dead. The henchman came from down the door to my never, never world. I hope you die. Die, monster, die. Die, monster, die. Die, monster, die. First things first we Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.